0: Tonight I have kind of an intense talk, making friends with death. Um, I'll begin with a traditional story from from the Buddhist literature, uh, the story about Prince Siddhartha. Prince Siddhartha is the man who, when he became enlightened, was the, the historical Buddha, so, the story goes that when Prince Siddhartha's mother was pregnant, his father got a prophecy: "Your son will be either the greatest king on earth or the greatest sage on earth." The father was politically ambitious he wasn't interested in having a sage son he he wanted a he wanted his son to be a great king, and so how do you make? How do you guarantee that your kid is not going to be a sage? You inundate him with pleasure. And so as Prince Siddhartha was growing up, he had all the pleasures and joys that one could have. You know, obviously he didn't have a PlayStation, but whatever the the cutting-edge toys 25 centuries ago were, he had those. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, good food, a family loved him. When he hit puberty he was married to a beautiful princess had concubines you know all the sex that he wanted you know teenage boys fantasy that kind of thing and so just a a life where he he was sheltered from everything that was unpleasant in life um and so was just having this ex- this experience of complete pleasure and of course every day he would go to the temple he'd be taken to a carriage in the temple just to offer you know daily offerings at the temple and when he was a young man he said you know the temple wasn't far away he said he wanted to walk to the temple and so he would walk with his attendants and over the course of four days he had what are sometimes known in buddhism as the four sights so the first sight he had He's walking along. He saw an old man. He had never seen anyone old before, and he starts asking his attendant, "You know what? What? What manner of man is that?" And old age, and he explains old age. You know, will this happen to my royal father? Will this happen to my royal mother? Yes. Will it happen to my wife? Yes. Will it happen to me? Yes. So, so bummer. You know, bummer number one, old age. Second day. He sees a sick man. Again, what is this? What is sickness? Blah, blah, blah. Will this happen to me? You know, bummer number two. The third day, he sees a corpse being carried in a funeral procession. asks about that. What is death? You know, will this happen to me? Um, And at this point, he's completely disillusioned with his life of pleasure. You know, none of this is going to save him from old age and death. And so it's a a crisis of meaning for him. The fourth day, he's walking and he sees a monk. You know, what manner of man is this? This is a man who's using spiritual discipline to try and break out of the cycle of birth and death. Immediately he says, that's what I want to do with my life. And in a move of astonishing courage, Prince Siddhartha walked away from everything he knew, walked out to the forest to seek out the gurus to learn about meditation. And then this was a journey. Eventually he you know, wasn't satisfied with anything he learned, sat under the bow tree, took the great bow, and was enlightened. But an essential part of this story is confronting the reality of death. You know, arguably, Prince Siddhartha never would have set out on the journey that eventually led to him becoming the Buddha if he hadn't confronted death. And this is something we see valorized um, in traditions both east and west. You know, in some sects of Buddhism, it would be traditional that Buddhist monks would, young Buddhist monks would be told, go and sit at the charnel grounds, the place where where Dead bodies were rotting, and meditate there. Just meditate, watching the decomposing of bodies. Um, many sects of of Western monks would sleep every night in a coffin. You know, again to remind them of you know the end of every day is kind of mirroring the end of life. So this this tremendous presencing of the reality of death throughout these spiritual traditions. Now, contrast that with America in 2023, a culture where we glorify youth, you know, even middle-aged people are trying to look as young as possible, you know, this sort of thing, and we do everything possible to avoid looking at death. There's this incredible denial around death. Um, We have this funny word morbid. You know, we're we're so uncomfortable with anything around death that, you know, anything that starts to sound like it's going to make us face that, oh, that's morbid, you know. Why would you do something morbid like go hear some weirdo talk about, you know, making friends with death, you know, this sort of thing. And to understand... Our current situation, I find it's helpful to compare it to 200 years ago, so Americans 200 years ago. Americans say in the 1820s, people died all the time. Children died all the time, women died all the time in childbirth. You know, it was common, you know, it it would be typical, say, a family might have 12 children and maybe two or three would live to adulthood, you know. And each one of those child's death was, was painful for them, you know. If a, a young couple got married at, say, eight. they, so they were both 18, they got married, um, more than likely that one of them would be dead by the time the other got to 40, you know, if not both of them dead, you know. Um, you know, there were all kinds of, you know, it was just a time if you got any accident and you bled out a lot, you were dead, you know, you got a bad infection of any kind, a viral infection, bacterial infection, you were dead, you know, and this was just, this was just the way life was, and death was unavoidable and undeniable. In the past 200 years, we have experienced nothing short of a miracle in the progress of Western medicine. You know, with between, you know, sterile technique and discovery of antibiotics, penicillin, the others, and inoculations and blood plasma, you know, we have now eradicated most childhood diseases. You know, now childhood mortality has gone down from well above 50% to like, you know, less than 1%. And a similar drop for mortality anyone in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, you know. And we've, we've created a, uh, a world in which the vast majority of the population lives to 70 and beyond. And I think if we could take any of these ordinary Americans from the 1820s and kind of put them in, you know, give them a magic window so they could actually see our society, they'd be astounded. Like, Wow children, you know, parents don't have to worry about their children dying. You know, young people can fall in love and, and they're not going to die immediately on each other. Like, isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a miracle? How many of us look at that as a miracle? How many of that look at that, look at that with any gratitude whatsoever? You know? Or do we completely take for granted the fact that, well, of course I'm not going to die anytime soon. So why am I talking about this today? It's kind of vulnerable to share, but tomorrow is the death anniversary of my father, the 42nd anniversary of his death. I I was a teenager when he died. Uh, He was only 38 years old. He was very, very young. It was cancer. Um, And really, I experienced five family funerals during my teenage years. The, The most impactful by far was my father. But there were a couple others that would have been the most impactful event of my life if it hadn't been the fact that my father died, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so by my early 20s I really had just a visceral awareness of my own mortality and the mortality of people around me um, which no doubt played into the you know, how enthusiastically I jumped into a meditation practice in my early 20s um, and a lot of my own journey has been about healing more deeply into life But part of what I want to talk about in this Dharma talk, you know, drawing from the wisdom traditions as well as my own experiences, is what is the value of acknowledging our mortality? What is the value of facing mortality? And even becoming comfortable with the idea of death. And the first thing I'll say is that it is a powerful antidote to taking life for granted. It's a powerful antidote for taking just the the raw fact of being alive for granted. Um, You know, just to have gratitude for each day we're alive. You know, sometimes people say kind of jokingly, you know, well, every day above the ground is a good day. You know, but, but it's true. you know when was the last time you were profoundly grateful for the fact that you occupy a living body you know and what a precious gift that is another part of it is awareness of death adds a kind of Precious quality to human connection, and the way I'd frame it is, some, sometimes in, in say, in a meditation group, they'll give this exercise, and they'll say, "You know pretend the angel came to you and said, "Before the end of this week, someone you care about is going to die. Just imagine during the course of that week, how you would react to the people you care about. You wouldn't be getting in any petty fights, you know. Like, you would be shown the utmost of caring and concern and deep appreciation for each person in your life. And, of course, the good news is no angels coming and putting out a hit on someone we care about, but why don't we relate to people like that all the time? You know? Really recognize... What a precious treasure it is to be in any human interaction, you know, not knowing, you know, not having a guarantee, will I see this person again? You know, it, it, it's it been part of my worldview that, I mean, since since my early 20s, whenever I say goodbye, part of me is aware, maybe it's the last goodbye, you know epidemiologically, probably not, but maybe, you know. I mean, even my students, you know, just the the ordinary, you know, homework's on the web, quiz next Tuesday, see you tomorrow, you know, like this kind of thing. And, of course, during my entire teaching career, I never, fortunately, never lost any student I was teaching. Um, I did lose a... a, I did know, I know of at least three students who died uh, shortly after like in the, the year shortly after I taught them. All three of them died in, in car-related things. There's a, a quote, and it's on the quote sheet from the, it's from the Dhammapada. The Dhammapada is, is a, a classic Buddhist text. Uh, the The original writings of Buddhism they're called the Pali Canon, and the Pali Canon is gigantic. It, it, a full translation would fill a small bookcase, and of course, you know, every single one of them is you know the Buddha said the Buddha said you know the Buddha prob- could not have possibly said all of that. Um, but scholars of religion feel that the Dhammapada actually represents what the historical Buddha might have actually said. Like, it might be the the core ideas. And it it really only takes about half an hour to read. It's a a remarkable text. Um, But one very simple throwaway line from it is that people forget that their lives will soon end. For those who remember, quarrels come to an end. You know? In every interaction with people you care about, you know it it's a wonderful ideal to hold. Would I be satisfied if this interaction I had with this person was the last interaction I ever had with them? You know like if if i you know if I die before I see them again, would I want them to remember the way I was in this interaction you know. and relatedly it just there's there's also this element of how we live our own lives you know i often say that uh, those of us who are adults now in 2023 we may be the most spoiled cohort of adults that have ever walked the face of the earth you know and one of the many ways we're spoiled is we have such a capacity for kicking the can down the road like Some other day, some other day I'll be patient. Later on, I'll be patient. Later on, I'll be more loving. Later on, you know. And of course, if we have all these stories about how later on I'll be the person I want to be, implicit in that is a kind of scarcity. I'm not the person I want to be now. It would be a powerful way to live to ask yourself at the end of every day, if today was the last day of my life, would I be satisfied with the way I live today? You know, it's intense. There was a saying among Native Americans uh, when they were going on the hunt or going into battle, today is a good day to die. And it, it wasn't about, I want to die, but more that I'm so satisfied with who I am and I'm, I feel so completely aligned with my authenticity that if I were to die today, I feel like my, my life has made the statement that I would want it to make. You know, this sort of thing. Another aspect of death is simply the sheer unknown. You know, there are various stories and theories about what happens after we die. I certainly have my own suspicions. But none of us know. And at least through ordinary means, we can't have any conversations with people who have been through it. You know, like, you know, anything else, a change in job or marriage or conversion to another religion, we can follow, you know, well, how was that? We can have a, a conversation afterwards. We can't with death. You know? And so it confronts us with the unknown. And making friends with death, a lot of it is about simply making friends with the unknown. The fact is there's a lot more unknown facing all of us than we like to admit. And so what would it be just to relax in the presence of the unknown? just to give up any need to control the unknown. Ultimately, I would say that saying yes, saying yes to death is essential for saying yes to life. What what Buddhism calls enlightenment, I, I think of this as a kind of a, a big, bold, you know, huge-hearted yes to all experience. And we can't say yes to all of life without saying yes to death, because death is the complement of life. We can't, we can't see what life really is without understanding the role that death has, you know? And so to say yes to life is to say yes to all of that. And so there's a poem I want to share. It's on the quote sheet. So I'll, I'll share the quote sheet. First I'll share it with the Zoomies. Good hybrid etiquette. The Zoomies got it. So this poem is by Mary Oliver, who's no longer with us. We lost Mary Oliver a couple of years ago. When death comes like a hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps that purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through that door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular. In each name, a comfortable music, music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, toward, toward silence. In each body, a lion of courage, and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up having simply visited this world. Mm -hmm. Below that I have the quote from the Demopoda. From Rumi, I learned that every mortal will taste death, but only some will taste life. Sir Francis Bacon said, Death is a friend of ours, and he that is not ready to entertain him is not at home. And again, that whole idea of being at home, you know, today is a good day to die, I am at home in myself. Dag Hammarskjöld said, In the last analysis, it is our conception of death which decides our answers to all the questions that life puts to us. Psychologist Leo Buscaglia says, Death is a challenge. It tells us not to waste time. It tells us to tell each other right now that we love each other. The mystic Carlos Castaneda said, Death is our eternal companion. It is always to our left at an arm's length. It has always been watching you. It always will until the day it taps you. The thing to do when you're impatient is turn to your left and ask advice from your death. An immense amount of pettiness is dropped if your death makes a gesture to you, or you catch a glimpse of it, or you just catch the feeling that your companion is there watching you. Brother David Stendhal Ross, who's who's in many ways the the patron saint, living patron saint of gratitude. Um, It isn't primarily a practice of thinking of one's last hour or of death as a physical phenomena. It is a seeing of every moment of life against the horizon of death and a challenge to incorporate that awareness of dying into every moment so as to become more fully alive. Anthony DeMello said, One of your American authors put it so well. He said, Awakening is the death of your belief in injustice and tragedy. The end of the world for a caterpillar is a butterfly for the master. Death is resurrection. We're not talking about some resurrection that will happen, but about one that is happening right now. If you would die to the past, if you would die to every moment, you would be the person who is fully alive because a fully alive person is the one who is full of death. We are always dying to things. We're always shedding in order to be fully alive and resurrected at every moment. Again from Mary Oliver. To live in this world you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it. And when time comes to let it go, to let it go. Just those three things, is all you have to do. Jack Kornfield said simply, the trouble is that you think you have time. Eckhart Tolle said, death is a stripping away of all that is not you. Elizabeth Mattis Namgyal said, I have a personal co How do we live a life we can't hold on to? How do we live with the fact that the moment we're born, we move closer to death? When we fall in love, we sign up for grief. How do we reconcile that gain always ends in loss, gathering and separation? And Caitlin Doty says, accepting death doesn't mean you won't be devastated when someone you love dies. It means you'll be able to focus on your grief, unburdened by the bigger existential questions like, Why do people die? And why is this happening to me? Death isn't happening to you. Death is happening to us all.